Hello and welcome to Second Shift with Rob Festenstein. Thank you to everyone who listened into our inaugural broadcast last week and for all the great comments and feedback you provided. We are off to a great start. This week, our guest is my older son, Noah. Noah is a junior at Wyoming High School and a really great kid. I hope you will enjoy my conversation with him as much as I did and learn about this really neat young man. Thanks so much. Noah, welcome to Second Shift. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, I've talked about doing a podcast for uh, a long time. And, you know, last week I did it with your brother and it turned out very well. And we're still in the testing phase of this. So I thought this week I'd give you the opportunity to sit and talk with your father. And we can have a conversation so that people can get to know more about you and so forth. Um, so really, you know, um, yes, turn off your phone. Thank you. Uh, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What are you? And, um, as you said earlier, I'm your son, Noah Fest in the sun. Um, I'm a junior this year. Uh, yeah, that's really it. Okay. So aside from being a junior at Wyoming high school, you know, I made some show notes to prepare for my interview with you. And uh, I'd like you to tell me about what else it is that you do in your life that you find interesting and that you use your spare time with. And, you know, what is unique about Noah? We know what's unique about your brother. But what is unique about you? Uh, I work. Um, I like to watch TV. Specifically Japanese TV. Like, Japanese television, okay. Like their anime. I really like Anime, it. yeah. You have lots of those books. Yeah, I think I'm at over 100. Over, that's right. We bought you a cabinet for that, didn't we? Yeah. How did you get into anime, specifically Japanese literature and art? Uh, I think I just found it one time and I thought it was cool. And so I started watching... And then I really enjoyed it, and I branched out even more. It became, like, really cool this year. It's, like, very mainstream. That's what they call it. Okay. So when something becomes popular that people were made fun of, it becomes mainstream. So we mock what we don't understand, you're saying? Yes. Okay. So anime, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with it, is Japanese animation. Yeah, it's like... Their version of cartoons. Okay, and are the characters Japanese? Yes, and I think the funny thing about Japanese uh, cartoons is they are very stereotypical, just like American cartoons. How are they stereotypical? You know, like they have they portray Americans as red, white, and blue, overweight, or like blonde, and like the stereotypical American. It's okay, really and how do they portray people from Japan? They portray them how they would usually see them. They don't really, they don't really like change. I don't notice anything different. I see. Okay, them. so the dialogue that you read in these graphic novels is English. Is English, and if you were to watch it on television, they're made in Japanese, but they're dubbed over in English. Is that how it works? So there's sub subtitles. Yes, and then there's dub, which is English actors. 
I like the sub subtitles more because I feel like you get more out of it. So you watch it in Japanese and watch the English subtitles. Yes. Now, you may not know this, but when I was young, um, the rave was very much watching Japanese cinema and technology was not as good as it is today. And the English would be dubbed over the Japanese and the joke would always be that it was never in time yeah. with their mouth. So you would see Bruce Lee or someone else of that genre. Yes, you're doing it now for our listeners who can't see what Noah's doing. You would watch the movie and you would see the character's mouth move and there would be a delay where the English was dubbed over what they're saying in Japanese. So I suppose it's good that technology has evolved in that regard, that it doesn't look so obvious uh, to have a delay in how the characters, uh, speak. Um, so, you know, uh, I've seen you get involved in this, uh, literature. Um, I wouldn't call it a comic. The, the, how, the Japanese term is manga. M-A-N-G-A. All right. What does that mean? It's Japanese comics. That's okay. what they're called. And... Uh, I don't know. I just it's like a good thing to collect that I really enjoy. I mean, I don't really collect a lot of stuff. I don't find a lot of stuff interesting. Well, I do, but like I don't find stuff interesting that I want to collect. But like books are easy to collect, and I feel like if I'm gonna get a use out of them and I can repeatedly use them while collecting them, I feel like it's so. Right. You'll buy a series, read it, and just keep it on your shelf until you can trade or whatever. Uh, I don't trade, but I recently lent a friend maybe 20 books, he asked. But, I mean, if someone asks to read them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to them if I trust them. And are graphic novels a quicker read than, say, a regular book? Yes. Because there's much less dialogue and much less text. I mean, they're not like, a, they're about 150 to 200 pages. There are bigger ones. Um... I yeah, they're very I can get through one in about thirty minutes. Okay. Okay. And you know, do you keep up with the production of these or do you just buy them on back order from what has previously been written? Yes, I have an app on my phone where I can read the latest. They release them about once a week. And uh due to COVID some of them have been delays. And the thing with Japanese uh shows is that there's so many and authors sometimes die, so the show gets cut off, or like they are constantly cutting TV shows because they're not getting the same amount of airtime as bigger ones would get. So I always get disappointed when a show is canceled. Well, and you don't, you were weren't really into this as a kid, but um, you know, Power Rangers was originally made in Japan. Yeah, that was Aaron's big thing. Right, your brother was into Power Rangers, and Power Rangers, if you watch it. In its organic format is the characters blue, red, yellow. I forget what the fourth one was, but, um, you know, the show is in Japanese. Pink? pink? Yeah. yeah, the female one was pink, yes. Um, so the show is made in, it is a Japanese product. It's uh, performed in Japanese. And uh, actually there's a man from Israel, Chaim Saban, 
who is a big mogul in Hollywood, who I believe owned the Power Rangers. I could be mistaken. So it's interesting, again, how that's evolved. And if you watch other Japanese shows, how the language has been dubbed over, um, so on and so forth. And um, it's much better than it used to be. And I remember a specific... um, Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory is also into uh, anime. He's more into comics, though. Well, but he's talked about anime uh, and the Japanese artists who make them. Um, But, you know, I guess that this is uh, not something that my generation knew about, you know, be it graphic novels, be it from Japan or wherever. Uh, We were just into regular comic books, you know, The Hulk, Spider-Man. I mean, I like those, too. Right. Right, uh, but that that is sadly becoming a uh, a lost art as well, where you would get the comic book and the ink would rub off on your fingers, kind of like how when people would buy newspapers in the morning, the ink would rub off on your fingers. Mm-hmm. And I can also remember as a child, every Sunday we'd get the Sunday Chicago Tribune and the Sun-Times, and it would be, and for our listeners, I'm making a measurement of about three inches thick with my fingers, but... I have not read a physical newspaper in years. I can't tell you how many. But so it, it's great to see that you still appreciate the uh, physical literature as opposed to reading it online. And I love books as well. Um, I have not been able to adjust to reading on a Kindle or something like I that. I think it's very hard to do, you know, because like... I'm a very visual person. Mm -hmm. I like to feel and touch it. It's so much different on your phone. And now you still have physical textbooks for school, which I'm glad to see. And I can't stand the ones online. I think they're horrible. I I would agree with you. When I did graduate school, uh, when you were an infant and a toddler, um, the program had gone to all online PDF files, and it was very hard for me to read and learn off of those so while they didn't offer actual textbooks, I went to the expense of printing them and binding them, and I made my own textbook. So I, I am very much a old school when it comes to that, that if I ever found myself in school again, I would want the actual textbook. So I'm glad to see that you're still doing that because, yes, there are people who learn differently, whether they learn from a Kindle or online, uh, but to me there is something to be said for the physical textbook. Now, um, I will point out to you that in graduate school, I only took one completely online course, and that was the most difficult course I took. It was on marketing, and you never met the instructor. You watched these videos with very demented-looking people in them, and you had to make the different scenarios for businesses, etc., etc., um, and I imagine some of your college experience will be like that, but... You know, as someone who graduated college in 1992, we're talking 28 years ago, uh, it's a very different era now for people like you, especially with remote learning being what it is right now. And Wyoming High School um, is going back to a uh, hybrid plan, but you in the past couple weeks have decided to, you know, you want your learning to be completely remote and uh, your mother and I support that decision. And it's just not something uh, anyone ever thought that they'd be doing. And tell us what your thoughts are about that. I'm talking too well, much. Well, for me, I really just, 
there was a difference because I felt enclosed so much. Like, I understand, like, masks. That's fine with me. But we have to carry around personal barriers, which I can't stand. Can you describe it for the members of our audience, please? Um, a personal barrier is a piece of, like, plastic Acrylic cardboard. plastic that kind of fits over the desktop where you work. Yeah, in. it's two-sided, and you just plop it down, and it's horrible. So it's kind of like uh, having a partition or a little study carol there, but it's clear so you can see the instructor and other students. Yeah. And did you anticipate that that's what it would be when you uh, went back to school? Well, I was first asked by the creator's son to come in and help, and I respectfully declined. And uh, I didn't think that they were going to be what they were. And I, for the first week, I was okay with them. It just got repetitive and frustrating carrying it around and it falling over. And people's break on them all the time. I'm sorry. People's personal barriers mm-hmm. break on them all the time. And it just like really frustrated me because there's no exception of getting rid of them. Because they're most likely here for the rest of the school year or semester. And beyond. Yeah, I hope not though. Um, yeah, but they're really frustrating and I dislike them strongly. Well, you know, that is your that is your opinion and uh you know, you're certainly entitled to it and I give you and your brother a lot of credit for going through this at such a unique time. You know, when I went to high school, um we thought it was a big deal that we didn't have air conditioning in the building and it was we would at the beginning and the end of the school year we'd be miserable when it started to get hot that, you know, you were lucky if you had a fan in the room, and it was an old building that's now about 100 years old, and there were parts of it that were air-conditioned, but now, you know, that was the biggest thing we complained about. So I give your generation a lot of credit for that. Tell us about what else is different for your third year of high school as opposed to years one and two. Well, the biggest thing is that I'm at home, and um, just having to make that adjustment to learning at home I had to create a learning space for myself that I was comfortable in and limit my distractions I mean the room is full of distractions but I've learned to keep it to a minimum and it's a really good environment because I'm enclosed from everyone else and if I'm bothered by someone I can just close the door even if I'm also in the basement so that helps a lot so I'm already far away from any everyone and if I feel like I need to be even more far away, I can just close the door and fully enclose myself in my own box, which is really nice. And have you adjusted to being completely remote with your learning now? I mean, I did it before since we did hybrid first week, and then I was also sick for a week. And um, and thank God you're okay. Yes. And I was already like online, but I was in my room, so it was totally different. But now that I'm in... My basement, it's a different experience, but I have so much more space in the basement, so I feel like it's my own classroom, which is really nice. So the you feel that uh, working without the barrier enhances your learning experience? Yes. Okay. And the Wi-Fi connectivity works well for you? Every once in a while, my Zoom glitches out. Yeah, I think everyone has experienced some type of problem with Zoom here or there, but... Uh... Are the classes exclusively using Zoom or other platforms? Only Zoom. 
Yeah, at work, I've uh, had to be on different platforms, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Predominantly Zoom, but I've also been on Google Meet. I've heard of that one. Uh, Microsoft Teams, WebEx, and then the traditional mainstay, which again seems like such old technology now, uh, is Skype. You know, I was on a Skype call a few weeks ago, and it just seemed very old and out of date. Um, let's shift gears here for a little bit. And, you know, your life is more than just being a junior at Wyoming High School, uh, which is uh, in Wyoming, Ohio, here, a suburb to the north of Cincinnati. About uh, 8,000 people live in Wyoming. What is the population of the school again? I believe 650 to 700. Well, and just as reference, my graduating class was bigger than that. I went to a very big high school. but. Yeah. Uh, but you have a great high school. But let's let's shift gears here. What do you do when you're not in class? I work. Okay, and tell us about your jobs. And you work two jobs, which I give you tremendous credit for for what you're doing. Uh, but tell us about both of them, please. So my first job, well, my first like real job, full. It's, I guess it's part time, or what would you call it? Would that be a full time job? A Terry's. A Terry's. I would say, excuse me, I would say that's part-time. I work a part-time job at a Montessori school, and for those who don't know what a Montessori is, I call it an advanced preschool, because it's a preschool, but they're learning stuff that kids would learn in kindergarten. Well, and it's a different educational philosophy, too, than a traditional kindergarten or preschool. Montessori is a different approach to education. Yeah. And, you know, you have a very interesting group of kids from all races, religions, no, backgrounds, or no? I mean, the mix is not there. I mean, there we've got a couple different ethnicities. Not a lot, though. It's, okay. But, I mean, the kids there are all very unique. Yes. Yeah. And what do you do on a typical day? What are your jobs? So, from three to four, I wash the dishes, clean the kitchen... Go around, grab all the trash, obviously socialize with the kids. They socialize with us, Mm -hmm. which can sometimes be bothersome, sometimes be fun. On Wednesdays, I take out the trash cans. On Thursdays, I bring them back in. It's very repetitive, which I kind of like, not switching up every week. And so from 4 to 5, on Mondays, I'm inside cleaning around the school. Wednesdays and Thursdays, I'm outside with the kids. And you enjoy the interaction with the kids? Yes, sometimes it's a little much because some of them are very hostile. and don't know when to stop. But, I mean, they're easy to put down since they're four years old. Well, what do you mean by putting down? I'll let that, leave that up to people's Okay, well, we'll let the audience figure that out. And Terry's Montessori in Wyoming is a long-standing program in the community, and they have... Four different locations in Wyoming? Uh, I believe there are three schools, and then their head office is would be the fourth. And so you predominantly work at the head office one, right? No, I work at the big school, which is around four to six years old. And that is in a, a repurposed mansion, for lack of a better well, word. Well, I mean, it's mansion on the top, school on the bottom. Okay, okay. Um, so you have that, and you enjoy working with the kids, and I've seen you where you've met kids out in the community, and uh, you enjoy getting to play with them. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoy the job. I mean, they're, it's taught me a lot, and I 
some of the things that I do there I don't really enjoy, but it's something I needed to learn. Like, Well, it's work. It's work experience, and, you know, you can use this to go on to other things. And I will point out to our listeners uh, that when COVID was at its worst, I would say March or April, uh, you were going into work at one of the facilities where kids were coming for a pandemic daycare center. Yeah, that's where I learned to change diapers and properly clean toilets. There you go. And, you know, God willing, someday when you're a father, you'll uh, look back upon that with favor. You have another job as well. Tell us about that. I also work at my local temple, Valley Temple. Uh, I work there two days a week. Um, I'm set up and take down of events and whatever else needs to be done. Logistical type work, yes. correct? Odd jobs. Odd jobs. And for our listeners, I'll remind you who may not know me that I worked in synagogues full time, a uh, better part of 15 years. So, uh, you know, I know what's involved with the work that Noah is doing right now. And it's important work. Uh, for a sacred community that, you know, we may take advantage, take for granted the fact that uh, when we come in for a service before the pandemic or even now for anything there, uh, that the chairs will be there. But someone has to put those chairs there. Someone has to do the setup. Someone has to put the sukkah together. Someone has to make sure the books are out. You know, there's a lot of uh, layers to things going on in a house of worship, whether it be a church, a synagogue, a mosque, any type of facility. So you're doing important work for the community and you work uh, closely with the rabbi and the administrator. Is that correct? Yes. I did not put up the sukkah this year. That was not my job. Well? I did set up religious school. Um, I set up different things. for We had to get barriers for the temple and their in-person services and I did that. Um, I really do whatever they tell me to. I mean, it's fun, and I get paid well for being 16 years old. Well, hey, you know, it's another feather in your cap uh, of work experience that, you know, when you're uh, moving on to the next phase of your life, you can say, you did this, you did that, you know. And I did a similar program in high school. We had a lab school in our high school for preschool and I took that class and I loved it and even though I didn't become an educator I still look upon that with favor from all the time I spent with those kids and I was thinking about it in planning for today's uh, broadcast and uh, those kids would now be at least 32 years old. Well you were an educator for fun. Yes, I took it because I had to fill some credit hours. Well, and now you... And I still teach on the side uh, as I can. Um, but, you know, early childhood was not meant for me. Let's shift gears a little bit here. You know, so you work at uh, Terry's Montessori. You work at Valley Temple, both located in Wyoming. Uh, you could walk to both of them, which is great. And you can go right after school and you're given lots of responsibilities to not only work with kids, but to be entrusted with uh, doing such important work for the temple. But uh, what do you, else do you do to unwind? I mean, you're, uh, you finished your tour of Dewey, as it were, at Goldman Union Camp Institute, and God willing, you're going to be going to Israel next summer. Uh, so you must be excited about that. And... Um, you know, the other neat thing about you, Noah, is your interest in basketball. And uh, tell us a little bit about the NBA right now. Who are your favorite players, teams? We live in a city that does not have an NBA team. 
but we're close to some. So tell me about what you think of the NBA right now. So I really don't pay attention to the NBA anymore. Oh, okay. Well, I can talk. I, I'm. I'm immersed into it though because I'm on social media and I see what is, I see what's happening. Um, the, we're in the finals right now. It's Lakers versus Heat. Um, the point guard on the Heat, Goran Dragic, just got hurt, and I I thought the Lakers were gonna take the series anyway, but I feel like they're officially gonna take the series. It will be a four zero sweep. Well, the Lakers, you know, at one point in time, I would say in the 80s, were the dominant team. They were the, like the Bulls of the 90s and the Celtics and the Pistons, the teams that uh, developed such predominant um, players that they kept winning consecutive championships. You know, and you think of all the legends that were on the Lakers, uh, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the Magic Johnson's, the Kurt Rambis's, um James Worthy. Kobe Bryant. I was getting to Kobe Bryant. He should have been the first person you said. May he rest in peace. And, you know, going back to the 70s, there was uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, one of the greatest of all time. I would rank him probably in the top 10 of all NBA players. Um, right. Yes, you would agree with me on that. And You're also forgetting Shaquille O'Neal, who had a stint on the Lakers. That's true. Shaquille and... Uh, uh, I would also be remiss if I did not mention that LeBron James. I, yes, the greatest player of all time. Well, we can save that for another podcast. I but think that him most likely winning another championship has stapled him as the greatest player of all time. Well, he's the greatest player of his era. And I think Michael Jordan, who you know I am partial to, uh, would agree with that statement. But you did meet in an airport. Yes, I did. In the Detroit airport, it was February of 1988. They had just lost to the Pistons the night before, and they still flew commercial. And I was in town visiting friends, and I'm walking to the gate, and there's Michael Jordan. And uh, he was kind enough to... Uh, the only I didn't have any paper on me, so I grabbed whatever I could find, and it was a United Airlines... Uh, frequent flyer card application and he signed it and unfortunately I don't know what happened to it but uh, meeting Michael Jordan uh, was an incredible moment and he didn't have to autograph that for me. Uh, We've also been fortunate to meet a couple other basketball players. Um, I've met Oscar Robertson, uh, the Big O. Uh, Cincinnati used to have a professional team that is now the Sacramento Kings. Yes. And uh, you and I also met, you may not remember this, Corey Blunt. Who, I do remember. Who played for the Bulls and the Lakers. Yes. And we were at Dick Weiland's uh, condo, and I remember standing in the kitchen, this giant man walks in, and he literally had to duck his head to get in, and he was wearing this fancy three-piece suit, and just an all-around nice guy. Um, I met James Harden and John Wall. Yes, you did. You former met- MVP. Uh, I have a picture of you uh, with James Harden up in my office. I have a picture of that too. And if I remember correctly, uh, one of his girlfriend at the time was Khloe Kardashian. Yes. And she was just off the camera, and uh, I had no clue who she was, but I passed her several times, not knowing who she was. Yes, and we also have a video of you uh, playing one on one with James Harden, and. Um, 
I like his beard a lot, and Houston has had a lot of neat players over the years. So we've got a couple minutes left, and, you know, uh, you're going to be going to Israel next summer. Um, Any thoughts on the upcoming election without getting too partisan? Or which one? Well, let's take the presidential election. You know, I was... uh, you're not old enough to vote quite yet. Um, you'll be able to next vote in the, year. the next next election, but the next presidential election you'll be um, twenty. Uh, be twenty one. No. Twenty twenty four. I'd be twenty three. Oh, okay. Well, close enough. Uh, so just wait. No. 21. I was told there'd be no math on this podcast. No, so. I'd be. T- no, I'm actually. <laughs> I'm actually about seven days behind and you can work as an election well judge when once. is when is the, like what is the day that what is the november final 3rd okay i'm eight days off from you're not gonna be 18 you're gonna be 17 well i know i'm real i realize that but i would be eight days off from the presidential election. okay okay well um any just thoughts on the election you know we do not really talk politics on this podcast we do not endorse candidates and the beauty of America is everyone is entitled to their opinion, and we don't have to like it, but we do have to respect it. May speak freely. You may speak freely. I hate Trump, and I think Biden should win, even though I don't like Biden that much. Well, and, you know, that is your opinion, and I don't agree I, or disagree with you. I respectfully don't respect some people's opinions about Trump. And Noah... I don't call them out for it unless they say something that's... That's perfectly fine. Blatantly incorrect, or... Uh, Disrespects a candidate I'm in favor for. And me, as you know, um, I tend to vote for the candidate, not their party. And, you know, there are certainly many flaws with our current president right now. Um, And I still contend that he got into the race in 2016, never, ever imagining that he would win this thing and that he would be in the position he's in right now. You know, I found something interesting. A friend of mine recently told me how Trump got into becoming president. It was because of Gwen Stefani, because she was making more than him at uh, whatever network he was on, and he got upset. And so he ran for president to prove his popularity and Sure enough, he got elected. Yes. Well, we've got a few seconds left, and I really want to thank you for taking time from your schedule to sit and join me on my very busy schedule. Yes, Sunday evening, the Second Shift podcast, and I thank everyone for tuning in. Please give us your feedback at rob at festenstein dot com. Thank you, Noah. Yep. Goodbye.